I am John McKay, and welcome to another session of Extracting the Best Out of Every Day with Dr. John McKay. And today, I have Alex Harris with us and discussing some of the um, parameters of cannabis testing from extraction, but also on the analytical testing to really know what you're, what you're getting out of your sample and looking at some of her experiences and more of where her education has taken her and where she's moving forward. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Ah, it's going to be a good session. It's going to be fun. So on my side, maybe you can explain a little bit about your, your journey and, and what you're doing in the, in the cannabis industry and extraction and, and uh, analytical testing. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think it's worth noting my background in terms of my passion and why I got into cannabis. Um, so both my parents were cannabis advocates in the 90s. Um, they were very obsessed with hemp and the proliferation of hemp and its uses in both um, environmental and health purposes. Um, so that was something I was kind of indoctrinated in as a child. I really didn't have any choice but to be a supporter of cannabis and hemp. Um, but I just loved science my whole life. I never thought I'd be able to work in cannabis. I thought that that was something that would be in the next lifetime. Um, but uh, you know, I pursued science and then I ended up getting really sick as a teenager and cannabis was my go-to medicine. I didn't like any of the pharmaceuticals I was prescribed. So um, cannabis was a big lifesaver for me. And um, I went into teaching because it was something I could do part-time. And then I heard about an expo in um, Desert Hot Springs. So I went to this cannabis expo and I was offered a job by MedMen and they asked me to take over their analytical chem department. And I was a biology teacher. I did not have any formal chemistry experience. And so that's when I realized that cannabis is hungry for scientists and really needs people that are passionate about both science and cannabis. Um, and so I moved to LA and I started working at CannaSafe where I was a lab technician. Um, I worked in potency, which was really high throughput and very demanding, but I learned so much from that. The team there was really supportive in cross-training and making sure that, you know, I had the, uh, the time and the resources to do as much research as I wanted to on cannabis. So I really appreciated that. And then um, I ended up accepting a job as a chemical analyst at California Cannabis Testing Labs. And that's when I worked on potency, residual solvents, and terpenes. So I got my experience in HPLC, LCMS, as well as GCMS. Um, and I took that with me to work in um, cosmetics after that. So I did QAQC for a cosmetics company. And then I worked for a bit as a field application scientist for a cancer and immunology research company. Um, and I just started now working for a supercritical CO2 extraction company called Peak Solution. So, um, it's been a lot of changes and COVID definitely helped promote all those changes, but I've learned a lot along the way and I've met a lot of really interesting and influential people, especially within cannabis here in LA. Um, it, it really is a microcosm of some really fascinating experts and, you know, I was thankful to meet you through all of that. Yeah, it was a crazy circumstance. It always is. Uh, <laughs> anytime someone meets me along the way, but I also saw some of the original work and then listen to some of your podcasts from last year and working through that entire process, which was kind of interesting because it, it really brought out more of what I've been advocating. So it may be that you're right or that we're both wrong. And so one of the things I do see is as you move from one analytical testing methodology, how is that kind of affected each time you've seen another part of the cannabis industry. So I guess what I'm babbling is you've moved from simple potency from an internal world, and then you start to go to GCMS, and then now you have another whole 
another whole section. You have you have terpenes to work with. How has that been for you as you as you've explored each one? I mean, for me as someone who's always been a cannabinoid, very fascinating. You know, I love that I could take basically any plant and put it into um, RGCMS and use the NIST software to identify whatever terpene it is, whatever volatile compound it is. Um, period. And once I realized that that was kind of the science behind uh, terpene testing, it made me realize, you know, wow, there's this this category, this um, catalog of chemovar information that we could be collecting on the level of all these testing labs and using that information to help um, support medicinal claims and help support our research for clinical trials. Um, but unfortunately, because of the, there's such a big disconnect, not only between the federal government, the state governments, and these testing labs that are third party. Um, but also because all of these different extraction and testing methodologies are proprietary between each lab. So that means that it's not really apples to apples. We really can't compare them in terms of using them for clinical uses just because um, the methods by which we extract and quantify all these different um, chemical constituents in cannabis are not regulated. So that's what's really been driving me to push towards more regulation and less I mean, I'm, I, I always like to say there's two trains of thought in science. There's the propri proprietary money-making side, and there's the um, education and benefit to society side. Um, and I definitely fall in the latter. Um, I've never really understood why we should keep cannabis testing protocols proprietary. I understand that it's the profit and bottom line for a lot of these testing labs, but in terms of what it promotes in the industry and what it promotes for the health for the consumer, it's not beneficial. So um, yeah, those are some, some of this, just some of the thoughts I've had working in, in this industry. You know, there's, there's a lot to be improved upon and it's gonna be a long road towards that. But I think it really does begin with us having a baseline to compare this data to each other so that we can use it for something besides C of A's. <laughs> That's true. I think that the, uh, so you, you rolled off the tongue with some you know, chemistry stuff. So the NIST database, so, a little bit of the NIST database is the fact that when you're able to do a gas chromatographic run and the detector is not flame ionization detection, which says, oh, you're here, you're not here, you're there, you're not here, because it doesn't give you identification outside of the amount of uh, what your retention time is. But when you go to the National Institutes of Standards, you now have an incredible library that if there's something that you don't know is in there, it will help you identify that and give a probability of this is probably this compound. And so therefore, when they're doing the, the testing, maybe I'm reading into this too much, and that is how many people were you seeing that were doing terpene testing, for example, versus potency? Yeah, so that is a really interesting point. So, you know, terpene testing is not uh, regulated in the state of California. It's not necessary. It's not part of compliance testing. Whereas in the state of Nevada, it is. So you'll find that products are labeled much differently between those two states. And that's something I've always disagreed with in terms of our understanding of the plant and what it's actually doing in our bodies. You know, not understanding the terpene profile is kind of removing a good portion of the chemical constituents of the plant. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to, I don't know, justify the way that things are being tested right now in that regard. Uh, I think the terpene information should be well known, 
but yeah, most companies will not choose to include it on their testing panel because it's just an additional cost that they don't necessarily need to have. Yeah, there's no reason to have it. So if there's something in there that is California, there's if you're not having to do that, why would you do that? You've just caught in the margin. At the same time, even through the Emerald Conference and some of the discussions there looking at um, limonene, you have two different types of limonene. And so even with that one, the cannabis plant makes one confirmation and that's more closer to a lemon. And then there's other confirmations that are closer to an orange and orange makes a different limonene than a lemon. Mm -hmm. And so how do we know whether someone has added, I'll call it orange limonene. I don't think I can really do that, but I call it limonene light from orange and one from lemon because the one from orange isn't, isn't doing anything, mm -hmm. you know, as far as the body itself. So now you not only have a, you know, how much do I have in there, but which one do I have in there? Right. Yeah. And I think it's really important that this data is collected, particularly because the data that we have right now on, on terpenes is not based on combustion of cannabis or metabolism of uh, edibles that have had terpenes added to them. You know, we don't have as much information about the metabolites of terpenes as, you know, we would like to have. And so understanding what a particular strain or chemovar does to you and how it affects you is actually, I feel, more important than understanding or trying to take apart each and every terpene and looking at its metabolites right now, because it's a faster path to us understanding what those chemicals are doing in our body. And not to mention, I mean, there's just so many variables when it comes to understanding how that actually works in terms of the, the chemovar, the different mix, the different levels of each of these chemicals. And then on top of that, the genetic predisposition of the user and how it's affecting them, you know? So unfortunately, like not understanding the terpene content of what you're consuming is really getting rid of the anecdotal evidence or anecdotal um, support that we could have for certain terpene effects. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a shame that that kind of information isn't being made available um, uniformly to the consumers. I think also when you look at, I don't know if you know, uh, some rattle off a few names like Dr. Mark Lewis. I'm not and, sure. <laughs> and he's also, he what? I'm not sure if I know him or not, no. Okay, so he, he and uh, uh, Dr. Russo had, um, Ethan Russo had put together a Phytofax, I believe they oh, called yes. it. Oh, yes, yes, okay, I have read this one. Yeah, so that's Mark Lewis. And um, I think I think along the way he got caught in some of those fires, but uh, I think he still lives up by Santa Rosa. But when they were looking at some of that work, they 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 looked at having three different varieties of cannabinoids with a high THC, a low THC, high CBD, and one that was a one-to-one. -one. And with the same terpene ratio um, found that the that the uh, the patient's experience was similar they had the same similarity which has nothing to do with what the cannabinoids are actually doing in your body and then on the other side they they switched it and then what they did is they had a one-to-one -one cbd thc and then changed the profile of the terpenes and then the patient's experience was wildly different and so I believe that's, uh, I don't know where the status is, but I believe that went from like 31 people or so to a, a, a larger study at John Hopkins. And John Hopkins is 
probably close enough to the University of Maryland, which is a fairly good transition point for my next mm -hmm. topic. <laughs> it's a little bit of a, a, a stretch, but we'll go with it. And so, and so you're also now working through an advanced degree, University of Maryland. How did you, how did you come to that one all the way from, I think I will teach, I forget fourth grade or fifth grade. And now I, and now I'll get myself a master's. Are you saying I taught fourth or fifth grade? Is that what you said? Yeah, but I don't remember what grade you taught. I taught high school biology and anatomy and phys. So. Oh, that's higher than fourth grade. But most people, <laughs> in, the, in the UK, that would be a fourth grade education. In the, yes, compared to the US standards, I agree with you entirely. Uh, <laughs> I was always pushing them. They're like, Miss Harris, you need to calm down. <laughs> um, but, and that's why I had to leave. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so when I was working at CanaSafe, like I was saying, I made some really good connections, um, one of which was my very close friend, Maha Hawk. Um, she is the founder of Canna Club, which is the first student organization based on cannabis, um, and that was at UCLA. So she's been very involved in student organizations throughout. She's expanded that program to many universities across the U.S., and she was really interested in doing this program, and so she started her um, her student association there as well. It's been renamed under this university. It's called the Medical Cannabis Student Association. Um, and so she had been advertising this program to me for a long time. You know, she thought it was right up my alley since I'm very into education. Um, and so I finally caved and I applied and I swooped in and helped her. So I'm the vice president of that master's in cannabis, um, Medical Cannabis Student Association. So that's been really good for me. Um, the program itself has been, you know, it's hard because it's virtual. So um, I feel like a big part about cannabis science is networking and, and getting to know people that are going to be not only a positive influence on your like academic growth, but also a good network for you to have professionally once you're done with your with your degree. So um, the student association helps a lot with that. And I'm really happy that I have been so involved in that because I've met so many people um, and made so many good connections that are have been super helpful um, and have helped me with my education in general. So um, yeah, that student association, our goal is mainly advocacy, networking, and education to be supplementary to that program. Um, and we facilitate that through monthly uh, webinars, monthly online events. And then we also come to campus twice a year for symposia. And I try to organize um, after parties for us after the symposia as well, so that everybody can get to network and get to know each other a little bit better. It does. So how many people are typically in a class? Yeah, so our class now is over 200, um, and we're the third graduating class. So it's it's grown quite a bit since its inception. I think the first class was around 100. So um, yeah, it's it's doing well. Well, what was it? What do they? What's the typical curriculum? Yeah, so um, I'm concluding my first year right now, and so far it's been an even mix between um, what can I say, like clinical recommendation guidelines and uh, clinical uses for cannabis, and then also pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of the cannabinoids within our bodies. So it's nice for me because I'm, you know, I'm coming from a science background, so it's very approachable for me to come in and look at the specifics of how cannabinoids inter interact with cannabinoid receptors. Like that's something that makes a lot of sense to me, um, but there's a little bit of challenge to it as well. So they'll give us, you know, our required resources and then our um, additional resources so that if we want to dive in deeper, we can. And so, of course, I'm just starting a catalog of really in-depth papers and, um, you know, collecting them from my friends as well as I go. 
but um, yeah, it's it's a nice mix between it's definitely it's definitely aimed towards clinicians and aims to aim towards people that want to do um, like cannabis coaching almost people that want to help patients find the right dosage and the right products for them, which I love to learn about because I have people ask me that all the time. You know, I'm no I'm no doctor, but it is nice to be able to help people because cannabis is something that's helped me so much. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are smart, that are science-based, but that are apprehensive to use cannabis because of its stigma. And um, being a counterexample to that and being able to represent someone who's used cannabis to really benefit them and, and help them through really tough medical situations, you know, I'm thankful to have that position and to, to have this supplementary education to help people in that regard. So they do come to, so now, we're slowly 200 at a time. So we have to assume that they come in 200 and let's say 150 come out. Well, you know, not everyone comes out, mm -hmm. but even with matriculation, you've at least started something with a year of, of another 200 people. So if I do the population of the United States, that means that you should be able to make a significant difference around the year 3020. But slowly, but surely, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully ramping it up a little, a little faster. So that would be one person, you know, contacting one person. So then you can start to go through that process. How and now in your typical day when you when you interact with people, because I know inter, I interact with people, do you this is what I do. So then I'll I'll see if it's what you do and then and then have you go. Well, that's crazy. So anytime that I'm I'm seeing someone whether it's in an elevator or I'm in McDonald's or some other time, I, I'm always bringing it up. And, it, and sometimes I don't have to work that hard because I'll have a little pen that, that someone looks at and goes, well, that's kind of interesting. What's that for? And so you now are able to have a discussion with an entire different age group. Um, also in my, you know, ramblings around the world, I don't know if I can ramble around the world. I can journey around the world, but I can ramble. And so if I go back through one person at a time, you are finding that there is a connection. I would say that even at the uh, Supply Side West that we just came away from, and, and it was huge. I mean, I think you'll agree that it was, it was significant. It, it makes MJ Biz look like a small county fair. Mm -hmm. and, and within that, people were using natural products in every form, a lot of plant-based products and stuff a lot of you know color-based products and, and and health health related products there were very few I didn't see any jelly beans but I looked for them and so within that process almost everyone was still considering CBD but they didn't they really didn't have an understanding of the molecule even the CBD and it was only what they had heard and so it's also as I as I tell people, there's a reason why you want to read the little thing on the label and it says 1000, you know, milligrams of something and, and it could be in five liters as far as I know, but it's also reading that dosage. So when you are speaking with people, are you, I'm guessing you're doing the same thing I am. And that is, oh, I got the CBD. Do you think this works? <laughs> How would I know? <laughs> works is a very subjective word. Yes. Depends on what your goal is. And good is not a number. And so both of those now bring me back around to the to the testing. And you're 
I mean, you've been in the industry, but you've also seen things from the outside because we've spoken off camera before of, of, you know, there's different labs that have been compromised or have, or have compromised themselves for a result. It's all too common. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not shattering any, you know, <laughs> misconceptions about the industry. Everybody I talk to is very aware of it though. To be honest with you, when I first started my podcast, like a year ago, it was something that nobody was talking about. And that was part of the reason why I was so, you know, gung ho to start it was because just in general, the analytical testing world is something that people in the cannabis market don't talk about. I've had people ask me, that's a job. That's something you can do. And I'm like, yeah, who do you think does it? <laughs> There's somebody, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Um, the educate, the lack of education around cannabinoids in general and CBD in general and how much money it's making in the natural product world is fascinating to me. Um, but you know, you, it's one of those things that causes so many benefits or quote unquote works for so many things that, I mean, sometimes people don't even really have to understand what's going on for them to, to feel a benefit from it. So I kind of understand that, that point, but, um, also, you know, I just, I, I feel like a lot of people are losing the attachment to the plant with all that. They're not realizing that, oh, hey, this is still cannabis. This is still marijuana. Like, and I'm using it as a supplement. Maybe it's not so bad. You know, that connection I feel like is being lost. Mm. Um, and I don't, did I tell you the conversation I had with Lonza at, at the expo? <laughs> okay, so this is, I love this story. So I, Lonza was like one of the first booths you saw when you walked in towards the end of the exhibit hall where we were. And um, they had this big display that was rotating pictures. And one of the pictures was for their plant-based capsules. And the background of that picture was a hemp field. And I was like, that immediately caught my attention because Lonza is huge. And so I had, to, I had to pull somebody over. I was like, hey, so are you guys intentionally advertising using hemp? Or is this just like, I'm trying to signal like an openness to this or what? And this guy started arguing with me on it. He's like, that's not hemp. And I was like, but it's, it's the palmate five pointed, like it looks exactly like it's serrated everything. He's like, no, no, that doesn't, that doesn't look like hemp to me. And then he pulled me aside and he goes, I know. Cause I grow. And I was like, okay, let's talk, dude. Like you're talking to the right person. Let's go. Like, I was like, I've grown up growing. I know what you're talking about. Like, believe it or not, <laughs> um, I too am a scientist who has worked with cannabis. And I ended up connecting with him over a potential client in Brazil, a friend of his who is, has a huge hemp grow down there. So it was just like the most ironic conversation ever because he knew he was denying something that he couldn't fully stand behind. And that is the attitude I've been finding throughout Big Pharma. So the coolest experience I've had through all this is when I left cannabis after working in cannabis and I started working in biotech and I started working with Big Pharma. I had clients like Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Kite, like all the biggest ones you can think of and then all the biggest UC schools you can think of as well. And just like you were saying with your pin, I need like a pin on my forehead that says, hey, I'm going to start talking to you about weed unsolicited. <laughs> so just fair warning. Um, but I would have those researchers, you know, talk to me about cancer, talk to me about immunological states that were very heavily based in pro-inflammatory cytokines. And I was like, well, what do you think about this very anti-inflammatory addition that we could have? You know, what if we cold cultured this with cannabinoids? And there are companies doing just that. I've been, I've had my eyes like hawks on companies that are doing just that. I'm not the only one with that idea. One of those companies was Arena that just got bought by Pfizer. <laughs> um, so I, you know, 
I have a lot of hope for that in the future. And the best thing that gave me hope was the reaction of those um, researchers that I asked that about. They were like, yeah, no, that's a great idea. But obviously they have all this red tape. There's no way they could ever actually do that research. But, you know, it's something it's something to look towards in the, in the future. And I think it's coming sooner. Well, it's, it's happening behind closed doors. People just aren't aware of it, you know? Yeah, they're aware of it. So they've been doing <laughs> that for a significant amount of time from even early, early days. So if you look at some of the you know, common friends we have in the industry that we're not going to say their names and such, but knowing as they've moved into the into the university, hoping to be able to do some research, and all of a sudden you're going, okay, you can do a lot of research within the Guinness, except you, you, you can't you can't use it. And then and so we also have common friends that have left the, the United States so they can go to a country that's allowing them to do research and they're able to, to make exponential growth. Um, Colombia is also another very open country to be able to, to look at the analytical objective parts of what the cannabis can do, but also supporting that with analytical equipment. Um, some of the papers that I've read um, more recently, uh, certainly Uruguay has had some very significant work where they've seen um, through high-end um, uh, mass spectrometry and high-end um, chromatography and supercritical fluid chromatography, the number of things that have already been in the plant. And so people have not seen the number of components that were in there. So even with um, University of Mississippi and the number of compounds that they've seen is significantly more compounds and they're significantly more hard to uh, extract in their form. And then you have Spain, you have Italy, you have a lot of these different countries that are doing that. And so you live in the United States. <clears throat> Just offhand there. I picked that right up and when you and so now you're you're having to do this through private organizations or going outside the country and right so how do you see that in your in your next five years of of journeying around the planet oh i'm definitely i mean okay so i'm, I'm already working with sakuna Alam, so that's all based in israel yeah. So, um, you know, when I started with them, they did mention the possibility of me going to Israel and, you know, working with their team a bit. So I'm very hopeful about that. I'm very excited to be working with them since they are really kind of the standard in cannabis clinical trials. Um, but yeah, you know, I've got a few other things in the pipeline for sure. Um, I was invited to go to Spain this past week um, with LA Normal because I work with them as well. Um, they are at Spanibus and I wish I would have gone, <laughs> but I've been kind of getting settled into this new role and everything. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's taking off internationally in a lot of ways, especially in regards to hemp. Um, and you know, coming from a family of of hemp advocates, it's I feel like I'm finally achieving my life mission of of helping hemp proliferate throughout the world. You know, it's not just a lot of people think about this in terms of the adult use market and and then a lot of people think of it in terms of the medicinal market and both those things are great both those things have an immense benefit to the planet but the thing that really has benefit to the planet i believe is hemp and the utilization of hemp for 
um, building materials for fuel for all I mean it's just so much more sustainable as a source of these things that we already use trees and oils oil for um, I can't believe that we haven't gotten to using it so seeing that these other countries are really taking off and accepting cannabis as a form of something to bolster their economy not only as an adulterant but also as or not only as a medicine but also as a crop you know a, a staple crop for their country is, is fascinating to me and I just can't wait to see it happen I'm so excited so when you're going so as you look through the next five years it's like it's like I'm interviewing well, I am interviewing. I'm, that's right. That's the purpose. Yeah. So, where do you see yourself in in five years? You know, it's that's the most difficult question because everything. The only thing constant in cannabis is change. That's yeah. the one thing I've learned is if you're not ready to just hang on for the ride, like get out because it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. So. I'm just ready to adjust and um, educate myself the best that I can and see what doors open. Because when I started in this industry, I kind of had more of a straightforward plan of what I thought I wanted to do. And that changed every six months. And it's been changed <laughs> six months since then. You know, I, I never thought I'd be getting my master's in it. I never thought that I would be doing things on the scale that I'm doing um, and doing things internationally. And so for me, like, I feel like putting together a five-year plan in cannabis is honestly kind of limiting to me, and I don't want to do that. So <laughs> I'm just hoping to absorb as much as I can, sit in these rooms with the smartest people, which I've been thankful enough to be a part of as of very recently, and, um, you know, try to absorb as much information as I can and be the, the sponge of cannabis knowledge so that I can hope to disseminate it elsewhere in a way that people can absorb. Um, because like you're saying, it's taking off faster than people understand it. It's going into the natural food market and the natural product market faster than people even know what's happening. And um, there's gonna be a recoil from that. There's gonna be people on the other end going, wait, like what am I actually putting in my body? And I wanna be there to, to swoop and be like, yes, this is it. This is what you're doing. <laughs> Here's the research we do have, you know, and hopefully work on some of the research that we need. That's, that's my goal. So you're awesome. I think you're also involved in the American Chemical Society. As of very recently, yes. I'm at, so I'm going to, are you going to that next week? I forgot I to ask. I don't know yet. Okay. So yeah, um, yeah, I've been talking to Amber at American Chemical Society for a bit, and I think they want me to help um, with some of their programming. So I should be helping with that and hopefully traveling to the future ACS conferences around the country. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of that. You know, the fact that they have a CAN subdivision I was this, the day that I found out that, that was a thing. I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> this is where I need to be need to be headed." So I'm very, very thankful to have been introduced to that. It was very difficult. Ezra Pryor was one of the first influencers, and his grandmother was Dr. Brown, and out of um, Brown University. Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget her name, but she's a pioneer in chromatography. And I believe she was the first woman professor at the University of Rhode Island. She was the University of Rhode Island. And when you look at those differences and the changes she made, and when you mention Amber, uh, Dr. Amber Wise, right? And she came out of teaching in Chicago and then, you know, headed out west to Washington and, and has made a significant difference you know, throughout the process and, and mentoring and such. So I think that that's great. So we're taking up a, a, enough time from you. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. So how do people 
get a hold of you and how would they from there i'm sure that you mentoring and, and having people know more about the, the cannabis plant but really the science of all i know it's the science of all natural plants can you have an unnatural plant i would say natural products from plants so <laughs> that's probably a better way so how, how would people get a hold of you um, yeah, so my internet pseudonym is canasci.hi. Canna like cannabis, sci like science, and then dot, and then hi. The hi is because I'm from Hawaii. Um, but yeah, so that's my my Instagram handle. I have an email, canasci.hi at gmail. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's also my podcast on Spotify is canasci.hi. And then if you want to see my Takoon education, that's on Takoon Alam USA. That's their Instagram and they're also starting to post that on their LinkedIn as well. So um, that's where all of my all of my little minute 30 second lessons are happening. And then I'm also starting to slowly branch out doing education events at consumption events here in uh, California as well. So Los Angeles, hopefully San Diego. I wanna expand to San Diego, but um, they're not as active as we are up in, in LA. Uh, so yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Um, please feel free to email me. Any, I love answering questions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.